Good evening, good evening. Hey, I got a couple of things I want to do before I dig into tonight's message. Uh, one is that it's this month is Pastor David's third, third anniversary being on staff with us at the church. So thank you, sir. He was a part of the plant team 13 years ago that came from Williamsburg to plant the church. And, uh, and so he's been active in ministry here from the beginning, but on staff with us. Our student ministries pastor, uh, if you're visiting with, with us, so thank you for all you do and your family for uh, pouring out into the next generation. Come on. If you've been here for the last few weeks, then you know that we took up a offering at both campuses for Cherished, uh, which is a local ministry uh, to the strip clubs in the 757. And uh, it's an amazing ministry just reaching out uh, to people that are just uh, oftentimes trapped in a lifestyle that they don't know how to get out of. And talk about being salt and light in a dark place. And so teams of ladies go out. Uh, they, had, they had an outreach just, I, I want to say, last night. And, uh, and so we're just so proud uh, to have an opportunity just to support that ministry. It's, it's operated under the umbrella of Established Footsteps that's run by uh, Marvin and Sharon Thomas. And if you uh, have been a part of this church for any amount of time, then you know Marvin and Sharon are here on Saturday nights with us. And so this is a check, $5,000 that was collected between both campuses for them. So just want to give this to them as a gift. Yes, thank you for what you do. Yes. And if you've got questions about how to get involved in that ministry, you can see them uh, at the end of the service. And, uh, and we'd love for you to be a part uh, of that. There's, uh, there's, there's different ways to be involved. There's ways to be involved by being in the teams uh, that go into the clubs, but uh, it's my understanding, too, that they're also uh, oftentimes have a need for people that just are, are, remain in the vehicles. It's for ladies only, uh, but remain in the vehicles and pray over, for the team uh, that's going into the clubs. And so uh, it's an important outreach, important outreach for this region. Hey, I just wanted to remind you, too, that next week we're going to be talking more uh, about Faith Promise. That's our missions giving that, uh, that we do here at City Life. Uh, gifts like that are, are possible uh, through uh, your generosity, but also throughout the year. Uh, our support of missions organizations comes out of our missions giving fund. A hundred percent of the money that goes into uh, Faith Promise is dedicated uh, to missions work, supporting our missionaries and, and things of that nature. And so uh, we're excited about uh, uh, giving to you next week uh, what we're calling a missions menu that talks about the various uh, things that we do, organizations that we support, uh, and places that we're active throughout the world. And so I uh, just want to encourage you to be praying about how God's going to move on your heart uh, to get behind uh, faith, promise, and missions giving. Uh, every year we see increases in giving here at this church, both in its uh, general giving uh, and then also in our missions giving. And so we're trusting that 2019 is going to be another banner year uh, of generosity. So I'm going to actually uh, pause the Holy Spirit series. We're not quenching the Holy Spirit. We're just pausing <laughs> the Holy Spirit. There's a, there's a theological difference. So, um, but, but I, because so many of us are fasting, which I still can't figure out how our planning coincided with a cookie reception at the end of the service. So you have to test yourself. That's what I'm saying. I have to test myself. So, um, so, so, 
because so many of us are fasting, I, I thought it would be a great time to, to teach on fasting. Uh, I like to do this message every, every couple of years. We haven't, we haven't done it in a while. And uh, every time people always go, uh, I didn't know that, or, or they were taught something different. And, and sometimes they're walking under a, 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 just a cloud of misperception of what fasting is and what it's about. And then sometimes practices that, that they've uh, encumbered themselves with. And, and, and you should be released from that. And so I'm going to talk about fasting uh, th- this weekend and next weekend. And then we're going to finish up our, um, our two weeks. I've got two more weeks planned for the Holy Spirit series. We're going to do that the first two weekends of February. So we'll be talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What is that? Is that for today? We're going to talk about spiritual language specifically. What is that? Uh, and is that for today uh, to bring that series home in the first two weeks of February? So Father, just as we dive into this practice that you have given to us, that you teach us about uh, so thoroughly through your word, Father, that maybe even for people here tonight that have never experienced a physical food fast, that something tonight is going to ignite in their heart and inspire them to take a chance on you, to add into their life one of these pathways that maybe has been missing. In Christ's name, come on, and everybody said together, amen. You know, I'm fasting, I always think about different kinds of foods that I love. Is that just me? Right? Which is, which is part of fasting is to re- reveal to us our terrible addiction that we have with food. But I couldn't help, so I'll share my addiction with you, that uh, when Caitlin and Dustin were up there doing their uh, uh, life group love, Dustin and Caitlin been a part of the church almost from the beginning, and uh, she makes these cookies. I'm telling you what. Right? Oh, yes. Right? If you've been around Caitlin, you know what I'm talking about. They're, they're like an Oreo cookie Fudge center, creamy center, right? And then they're dipped in, is it white chocolate? Oh, praise the name. I'm going to put an order in for those when I break my fast. I get a list going, right, of what I'm going to eat when I, when I break my fast. Of course, Pastor David could eat them already, but that's another story for another time. Oh, yeah, shots fired. Shots fired. All right, no more. No more, I promise. I promise. I promise. That's so great. He knew it was coming. He knew it was coming. Hey, so let's talk about our pathways. We've referenced those already tonight. We've got 12 pathways that we teach here at City Life. Those are our 12 right there. Uh, this is the anchor of our discipleship model. If, if, if you're visiting tonight, there's a little green book that we love to give you for free. Anybody in a blue, a blue shirt can get you one of those uh, that just talks about these 12 pathways and how they fit into uh, a bigger model of discipleship that we've been teaching here for some time. I met with somebody just this week, and they were talking about how this model has transformed their life. They've been coming to the church for a few months. They were not in a good place when they came, and how God has just done an incredible work in their life as they've put their life to work through this process and put that process uh, to work in their life. Discipleship does not have to be some, uh, uh, some, some distant theological thought, doctrine-based process. Is doctrine and theology part of discipleship? You better believe it is, but it's just a part of it. And what I would say to you, it's not the daily part of it. The daily part of it is activity-based, and that's what those pathways are about. And if those thoughts are new for you, then you need to get one of those little booklets and check those thoughts out. There's all different kinds of ways that you can fast. You can fast media, you, you can fast maybe certain shows that you watch on a regular basis. The concept of fasting is about self-denial. So there's all different kinds of ways that you can set aside. If you're a teenager, you cannot fast from your chores. That's not allowed. 
You're tracking with me? All right. Don't use it. So there's, there's all kinds of ways that you can fast. That is true. But food fasts are the central idea behind a biblical fast. And that kind of fast does something unique in you that everyone should experience. The exception is, obviously, if you have some dietary restriction, we're going to talk about this. If you're not medically cleared for a food fast, that puts you in a different category. But that's so few people. Most people are physically able to deny themselves of sustenance in some manner, in some way. Isaiah 58 6 through 8 reads this way. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version. It says, Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked that you cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Meaning that this is an old term, meaning your own people. So don't, don't ignore the people that you should be helping. Verse 8 says, then let your light then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Love that text in Isaiah about fasting. The reason why fasting with a physical food-based fast is so important is because your physical appetite for food is the strongest appetite in your body. Now, we have all kinds of appetites. We have appetites that's connected to our sexuality. We have appetites in connection to, to our emotions with acceptance and affirmation, all kinds of appetites. But the primary appetite that we've been given is one for sustenance because that's directly connected to survival. And your desire to survive is your greatest desire in your human experience. When you gain control, listen to me, over your physical appetite, it is the gateway to the submission of every appetite that you have. If you struggle with other appetites, I guarantee you fasting is not a regular practice in your life. If fasting is a regular practice in your life, what you're going to find is that you're going to gain a sense of authority and dominion over every other appetite that God gave to us, but not to control us, but he gave us those appetites to serve us so that we can experience the depth of fulfillment within the context of the creation that he put us in. Let me give you this definition of a physical fast. It says, a practice that alters your diet or eliminates food and or drink for a scriptural purpose with the added benefit of growing in us the 24 virtues. So whenever you submit yourself or subject yourself to a physical fast, there is a twofold benefit that's taking place. One is that you're gaining dominion over your appetites, and the other is that you are participating in a discipleship lifestyle that produces in you the character of Christ. Dr. Elmer, Elmer Towns has a book entitled Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough. I remember reading this book years ago. It's a must read if you're new to physical fast. Fasting for Spiritual Breakthrough by Dr. Elmer Towns. Now he takes this verse, Isaiah 58, 6 through 8, 
And he breaks down nine biblical fasts that this text in Isaiah conveys to us. Humanity, circumstances, evil, purpose, benevolence, insight, healing, witness, and protection. Now, some of these I've changed because through my own journey of study, study in this text, I've, I, I feel like some of these words better describe what's actually being said. But for the most part, all of them mirror what Dr. Towns teaches in this book. And even though I would respectfully disagree with a couple of the focuses of the fast, his teaching on what fast is and what it does and how you should do it. It's exemplary. So again, if you're looking for a good book to read about physical fast, I would highly recommend. And anything that Dr. Elmer Towns writes, I would highly recommend. Isaiah 58, 3 through 5. We have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? This is the nation of Israel talking to God. We have been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. I will tell you why, I respond. This is God now answering them. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. You humble yourselves by going through the motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap and cover yourself with ashes. Is this what you call fasting, do you really think this will please the Lord? I share that with you because just because you deny yourself sustenance doesn't necessarily mean that you've entered into a biblical fast. Your motivation, your reason behind it, what your focus is, all determines whether or not you cross the threshold of doing something that's going to have a spiritual benefit to who you are. Matthew 6, 6 through 18, I'm not going to read those for sake of time, but I want to reference that. All of these notes are on our website every week if you're new to the church and we cover a lot of textual ground like tonight. You can download these PDFs, they'll all be there. Matthew 6, 6 through 18 is a source of confusion for many people when it comes to both fasting and prayer because this is part of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about People should not pray in public squares, but they should have a prayer closet that they find and have their conversations with God there. It's where Jesus talks about when you fast, that do it in a way so that other people don't know you're fasting. And people have taken that teaching and used it to mislead people that prayer and fasting should always be private. But that's not the context of the teaching of Christ. The reason why he said to be private in your prayer and private in your fasting is because he was dealing with religious leaders who were not praying for the sake of prayer, they were praying for the sake of their own vainglory. They were using prayer inappropriately to promote themselves. They were using fasting in an inappropriate way to promote themselves. And what Jesus has actually given us a teaching here on the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying that if you're misusing prayer, if you're using it to promote yourself, then stop praying in public. Go back to praying in private until your character gets to a place where you can return to having a witness through prayer. And he's saying the same thing through fasting. Fasting is an incredible way to have a witness in a broken world. We're going to talk about that one next week. There is a witness that God wants you and I to have, and sometimes that witness has to be public because it creates curiosity in other people so that they begin to ask questions. If you're fasting to be boastful, if you're fasting to promote yourself, then Jesus says then you should take your fasting, move it into a private arena, 
And then when your character matures, then you can move it back into a public arena so your witness is effective. Ten questions that you should ask yourself if you're thinking about starting a physical fast. The first one is, what is my motivation? Now, there's all kinds of diet plans that are out there that are, that are involved fasting for a health benefit. So that's okay. I'm not saying that's wrong. But if your motivation is primarily to do it for a physical benefit, then I would say you're not crossing the threshold of it having a spiritual benefit to who you are. Your primary motivation for your physical fast has to start with the idea of what the Bible talks about for you gaining control over your appetites and to also for it to be a pathway that produces in you the character of Christ. That's got to be your motivation. When you go on a fast, you should pick one of these nine focuses. You don't just have to choose one. You can choose several of them. If you're doing an extended fast, like the one that, that I'm doing, I'm doing ours for 21 days, as some of you are, then I intend to pick one for the first part of my fast, which is going to be a purpose fast for our church. I'm going to talk about that more in a little while. And then I'm praying about what's going to be the next focus of my fast as I move through. So it could be that you start with one and you move to one of the other focuses, but pick a focus. Have the right motivation. Choose a focus. If you've never fasted before and you might have health complications, you should talk to your doctor. We're not advocating foolishness in our church. Faith is not foolishness. Faith is not foolishness. And so if you think that there, there, there might be a risk to you, then talk to your doctor and tell them about being a Christian and how you want to exercise this spiritual discipline and let them speak into your life and put guidelines that are going to make it safe for you. You've got to decide when is going to be your first fast. And I say that because if, if you just say, I hope to do it one day, you're probably not going to ever do it ever. So set a goal. Even if you were to say, you know what, Fred, I'm not ready to do it with the church right now. But what I would encourage you to do is set a goal to learn about fasting and then say, Fred, you know, by the end of the first quarter, by the end of March, I'm going to plan and set in on my calendar a time where I'm going to fast. Nutrition is important. Fasting is not about denying your body nutrition. You can have a nutrition plan. You can still take in nutrients with your fasting. Fasting is about forcing you to physically confront the feeling of hunger. Does that make sense? You can deal with the feeling of hunger without denying your body the necessary nutrition that you need to function. If you have a job where you have to exert yourself physically, what fasting might look like for you might be different than what fasting looks like for someone like me who sits in an office most of his life, right? You, you've got to make sure that you're providing your body with the nutrition that you need for the demands that your life puts on you. It's important. You need to set a time frame. Don't ever go into a fast and just say, I'm going to start fasting and I don't know where I'm going to come out of it. Because chances are you'll come out of it sooner than you're supposed to because hunger is real, right? So put a time limit on it. And then once you put that time limit on it, stay with it. And those moments where you're feeling like, I can't make it, I'm telling you, those are the moments where you're going to experience your biggest breakthrough. Choose your parameters. We've talked about that. There's all different kinds of ways that you can fast. You can do something that's an extreme denial with just the minimum nutrition, or you can do something like what some of us are doing with the Daniel fast that's really like a, a, a vegan approach to fasting. And then what I'm doing for these 21 days is I'm doing the Daniel fast, but then I'm going to pick certain days where I do an extreme fast, like I'm doing today where I'm, I'm only doing liquids. If you are married and you've got kids, if you're the primary person that does the cooking in your family, 
You've got to make good decisions about the consequences of your fast and how it affects other people. You track it with me? If you've got little kids, there is a nutritional need that they have. You can't subject your whole family to the diet that you're going to choose for your fast. So you've, you've got a plan. If you're married, talk to your spouse about it. If you've got kids that are old enough to understand, talk with them about it. Have a family plan so everybody can be a part of it. Listen, everyone can be a part of it in supporting you even if they're not participating. You've got to take into consideration your routine, demands on your body, which we already talked about, and then your witness, which I just want to come back to this one more time. I'm telling you, physical fasting is an incredible way for you to have a Christian witness. When, when, when you've got to, if your work requires you to, to go to lunch meetings, you can still go on those and then just get V8 juice. And then somebody might ask a question, well, what is that about? Open window, I'm just saying. Right? There, there is an opportunity that God wants to use your fast for you to talk about your walk with Christ. And I'm telling you, people are curious. People are curious about fasting. What is it about? And hopefully through this week and next week, you're going to know more about the answers that you can give to them, or you can even point them to the website, to the podcast, or some of these resources that we're making available to you. All right, let's talk about the first fast, humanity. Somebody say humanity. Romans 7, 21 to 25. You've got to love some Romans 7. I have discovered this principle in life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all of my heart, but there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the, to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind, I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to sin. All of this leads to Romans chapter 8, one of the greatest chapters in the Bible that talks about this idea that we don't have to be a slave to who we are. Paul here is not talking about being a helpless person in the face of our humanity. He's talking about the helplessness that you will experience if you don't develop the spiritual strength that Christ makes possible for you to have. There is a spiritual strength that God wants you to discover to resist your human nature, and I'm telling you that fasting is part of the path that is there. Let me share this thought with you. Who we are today is the seed of what we will ultimately become. Who we are today is the seed of what we will ultimately become. If you've got a vision to be a better person, a deeper person, a more devoted person in your future, then guess what? It starts today. It starts today. Leviticus 23, 26 to 32, again, just referencing this text. It is the only time in the Old Testament where a fast is actually commanded. Now, fasting's talked about a lot in the Old Testament. It's taught on. It's suggested. We see people practicing it. But as far as God saying to a group of people, I want you to fast on this day for these reasons, it's right there in Leviticus 23, 26 to 32. Repeatedly, there is a phrase in here where he talks about denying yourself. And that phrase in the Hebrew, in the context of the Jewish faith, means to fast. And they were expected to fast on this feast, which was part of the Day of Atonement. Now, there's a reason why he put fasting in connection with the Day of Atonement. 
Because the day of atonement was the day that the high priest would offer a sacrifice for the sins of the entire nation. It's instructive that God attached the practice of fasting to the day of atonement. And I believe the reason he did that is because he's trying to teach us something about our human nature. That you and I, if we're going to gain control over that which causes us to sin, if we're going to make progress, we're never going to have complete control over it because we're always imperfect, but I can have more control over it in my future than I do today. And fasting is how we get there. Now that I walk in the perpetual atonement of Christ, I should practice fasting so that I can appropriate all the power of Christ within me as I resist my humanity. The only time in the Old Testament, the only time, seven great feasts, seven great feasts that God commands the Israelites to practice, and this one on the Day of Atonement, he says, make fasting part of it. If you need, if you need to gain control over your life, I'm telling you, fast and make humanity your focus and find a sense of victory. Let's look at circumstances. Circumstances. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Love these series of verses in First Thessalonians 5. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. That little phrase right there in the middle is troubling to me. And everything give thanks. Doesn't say in most things, doesn't say in the good things, it doesn't say the things that you would choose, that you would prefer. It says, in everything, give thanks. I remember when I made a vow of devotion to Christ in December of 1990, one of the first books I picked up to read was based on this one verse, in everything, give thanks. I think the title was called From Prison to Praise, if my memory serves me correctly. My parents had that little book laying around the house. I remember picking up and devouring it. It began to change the way I thought about life. The command that we are given, what Paul is saying to the church of Thessalonica and what the Holy Spirit is saying most certainly to us tonight is that we have to be willing to find the ability to be thankful in all things. Romans 5, 3 through 5, Paul revisits this idea in his church, in his letter to the church of Rome. We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that They help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Some suffering is for our good. Some suffering must be resisted. And in fasting, you find the power to endure or the discernment and strength to overcome. There's part of this life, God has plans for you and I to suffer. And whenever there is suffering that is part of God's plans, it's purposeful and it's for my good. Now, there's also suffering that we have that is circumstantial that's based on our foolishness. That's for our good too, but you don't have to walk down those roads. That's your choice. But even if you never make another decision for the rest of your life that brings suffering onto yourself because of foolishness, suffering is still waiting for us in our future because God uses it to perfect us. I love this verse in Ezra chapter 8, 21 to 23. A lot of times we forget that the story of the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem through Nehemiah, that he had a contemporary. His name was Ezra. He was the priest and the prophet. Ezra Ezra was the, the governor administrator, and that's even a prophetic picture of two giftings that need to be operating in the church for it to be healthy. 
Ezra 8, 21 to 23, it says, And there by the Ahava Canal I gave orders for all of us to fast and, be, and to humble ourselves before our God. We prayed that he would give us safe journey and protect us, our children, and our goods as we traveled. Listen to what he says. For I was ashamed to ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to accompany us and protect us from enemies along the way. After all, we had told our king our God's hand of protection is on all who worship him. But his fierce anger rages against those who abandon him. So we fasted and earnestly prayed that our God would take care of us. And he heard our prayer. I love this. I love the authenticity of these verses. I love the authenticity of Ezra. He's saying he went before the king and made this incredible proclamation. If you release us to go back to Jerusalem to help rebuild this city, you, you don't have to send any soldiers to protect us. It's dangerous. It, it, it's, people usually die on this journey, but you don't have to worry about us because God is on our side. Right? And on his way home, he's thinking to himself, you're on our side, right, God? Right? He's on his way home, and he, he gets back to his church, and he says, hey, look, I, I had an opportunity to ask the king for help, but may, maybe I overstepped here. Maybe I overreached. Sometimes in our life, we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where, where we doubt. We're, we're, we're not sure we did the right thing. I love that God has a grace for us in those moments. And I love how God smiles on our sense of expectancy. He doesn't smile on arrogance, but he smiles on hope. And Ezra and the people of Israel committed themselves to a fast. And Ezra is saying to you and he's saying to me, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that when you face circumstances that are bigger than yourself, then enter into a fast and watch God move on your behalf. Some of you are facing circumstances right now that are absolutely insurmountable. Some of you are facing circumstances right now that maybe it's with your finances, maybe it's with your marriage, maybe it's with your work situation, and it's completely beyond your control. Can I just say to you, fasting is one of the greatest things that you can do in response to those situations and circumstances. It doesn't always mean that you get what you want. It doesn't always mean that you get what you want, but you will always get what you need. Either the breakthrough that God has waiting for you, or he gives you the endurance that you need to see it through to the end. All right, let's talk about evil. Some of you said, I thought you were already talking about evil when you were talking about fasting. <laughs> hey, let me recommend this book to you. This is by Michael Heiser. It's called Supernatural. I don't agree with everything in this book. You might say, well, Fred, you say that a lot. I know I do. And, and, the re, and the reason I say that a lot is because we want to be a church that encourages you to read things that you don't necessarily agree with, right? This is part of us growing. This is part of us practicing listening, and I'm going to be getting to that at the end of the service. If the only thing that you're doing is surrounding yourself with input that are saying the same things that you're believing, you're going to end up in a bad place. He has some ideas about where demons come from in here. I can't go there with him all the way, but this is, I'm just telling you, if you've got an appetite for some theology that's a little bit on the fringe, and I know some of you do, then you need to check this out. <laughs> Read it, and then come, we'll talk about it. I'll buy you lunch after we're done fasting. <laughs> or I'll buy you V8 juice if you get to it earlier. Ephesians 6, 10 through 12. A final word, Paul says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm 
against all strategies of the devil. But we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in heavenly places. Look, everything evil that you experience in this life doesn't have a presence attached to it. Because the devil and the fallen angels that we call demons that work on his behalf, they are not omnipresent. They cannot be in more than one place at a time. They cannot be responsible for all the evil that's in the world. Sometimes evil is just because bad people do bad things. Sometimes evil is just because we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken place, so we're exposed to broken things. But sometimes there is a presence that's attached to evil. The Bible's very clear about that. The devil is real. He's a real being. He has a real presence. Demons are real. They have a real presence. And part of fasting is also gaining the discernment to know the difference. You and I, Paul tells us, that we do not have to stand in the face of evil unprotected. That there is something that he calls here, we're not going to teach on all of the full armor of God, that would be an entire sermon series unto itself, but there is something that he calls the breastplate of righteousness. There is a measure of righteousness that is apportioned to us through salvation, 2 Corinthians 5.21, if you want a reference for that. But there is also a measure of righteousness that has grown in us through discipleship. 2 Peter 1, 5-7. There is a reader reason in Peter in his epistle uses the phrase add to. What's, what's he mean by that? He means that you're responsible to do the work to get that virtue activated in your life. It's already present because Christ is present in you. The measure of righteousness that's apportioned to you through your salvation. But there is an activation of those virtues that will not take place until you submit yourself to the journey and the experience of discipleship. They both go hand in hand. And I don't know about you, but if we're going to face evil in this world, which we most certainly will, whether it has a presence or not, I want to make sure that I'm fully armed in every way that the Bible says is possible for me. And one of them is called the breastplate of righteousness. We understand righteousness through the biblical definition of virtues, which we know to be the fullness of the character of Christ. Paul is saying that if you're going to face evil in this life, then the character of Christ is like armor that stands between you and the evil that comes against you. Now you can either have a thin breastplate of righteousness, or you can have a big one. I want a little bit more than a beefy tea, come on. You can do something in your life to build righteousness. Fasting is essential for the building of our righteousness, which according to Paul and the Holy Spirit who inspired him is essential for our fight against evil. I've got one more that I was going to do tonight. I'm going to push that to next week. I'm going to invite the worship team to work their way back up here. I want to change gears with you a little bit. As we're coming into the new year and as we're making our way towards the joint service at the end of the month where we'll do some vision casting for the coming year. It's just had me in a season of reflection, just thinking about these last 13 years for the church, 12 of it for us, that we've been a part of it. They got me thinking about this picture that's going to come up on the screen. Put that picture up of the, uh, there you go. 
If you were here back in 2014, that's a familiar picture to you because that's where we launched what we called our 2020 vision. So in the fall of 2014, we began to talk to the church, the elders, and myself about this, this feeling, this sense that we had of where God was leading us and, and, and directing us. So we laid out something called the 2020 vision, which we wanted to see fulfilled by the end of 2020, and we're well on our way to seeing that happen. The first part of that was that we wanted to see a discipleship program established in this church that was going to raise up future leaders, but not just raise up future leaders, but even people that might not be called to leadership. We wanted to put them in, a, in an environment, in a setting where we could deepen their sense of devotion to Christ so they could further pursue whatever it is that God was calling them to. Because churches thrive, come on, not just because of leaders, but because of everybody. And so here we are, Praxis 9, well on our way, our fourth, our fourth class, our fourth class. We're going to be graduating in the spring. 2020 vision is alive and well. Part of the 2020 vision was we wanted to plan another campus. And we knew, this is another story for another time, that that campus was, was going to be in Suffolk. And so we started talking about the timing of planning that campus and, and when we should do it. And, 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 and then we got dreaming about just what this idea of planning campuses could look like for us. And, 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 and we began to realize that God was giving us a strategy for how we were going to manage growth, that we were in a building like this as we outgrow. We're just going to plant campuses. This is part, right? God was giving us a vision to plant a campus, but then he used that vision to, to, use that vision to actually give us a strategy for our future. Suffolk. Getting ready to celebrate his third anniversary. Come on, it's good. Our goal by the end of 20, we wanted to see that campus up and running, fully staffed, and to be self-sufficient. And it's, it's so far beyond that. It's, it's more than doubled in size than when we planted it three years ago. So proud of what Pastor Justin and Stephanie are doing over there. If you ever have a chance on a Saturday night, you should just show up over there just to check out a service. It's different than what's here. That's part of our model. Look like the city that you're in. When we launched that 2020 vision, one of the things that we did is we gave everybody a quarter. I still, this is the one I got that night. We had a big bucket of them. Sits on my desk. See it every day. And we gave everybody a quarter because the, that binocular thing that you see that's on top of the Empire State Building, it, it, back in the day, it took two of these to make it work. It took two of these to make it work. And the reason why we gave everybody just a quarter and not 50 cents is because what we wanted to say to people is the only way any vision that God gives us is ever going to be fulfilled is if we work together. So you got to join yourself to somebody else's life, L, life. If everything that God's dream for us is going to be fulfilled, you will never do it by yourself. You will never do it by yourself. And can I just tell you one of the things that God is asking us to do as a church? One of the things that he's asking us to do as a church is to model what true biblical unity looks like. Too many churches have bought into a secular concept. That secular concept is uniformity. The Bible doesn't call us to uniformity. The Bible calls us to unity. And the only way that we're ever going to experience unity is when there's harmony. Listen to me. And you cannot have harmony without diversity. So if you're reaching for uniformity, you'll never experience true biblical unity because you've already set aside one of the key ingredients that leads to biblical unity, which is diversity. Listen to this quote by this guy right here, Chris House. When diversity is celebrated, harmony is established, and unity is achieved. So good. 
This is part of what we're called to do as a church. Which means that, which means that every campus should look like the city that it's in. So the different colors of people that are in that city, you should see it in the church. The different socioeconomic classes that are in that city, you should see it in that church. The different generations that are in that city, you should see it in the church. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna push you a little bit here. The different political affiliations that are in that city, you should see it in the church. We're called as a church, the City Life Church, to be an example of diversity that's been lost to too many Christian communities because there is a harmony that the gospel of Christ can cause all of that diversity to come together and work in a perfect partnership, Ephesians 4, every part, loving one another, doing its part for the glory of God. And when we do that, we experience something the Bible calls unity, and that was Jesus' prayer before he left, was the church to be one, not uniform, but to be united, just as he is with the Father and the Spirit. So I'm saying all of that to say to you tonight, as you're moving into 2019, if you're visiting this church and God is speaking to you about city life, then what I would say to you, come be a part of what we're doing here. Come be a part. Your life, connected with every other life in this room, there is a witness that needs to be brought to the 757. We're not the only church doing it. There's a lot of great churches out there, but I'm telling you, we're one of them. And there is a unity that we can bring to our city that act you like when Jesus answers your prayer, we have an opportunity to answer a prayer for Jesus. Stand with me. Father, as we step into this moment of worship, just as a, a declaration of faith over this service tonight, everything that you've done from the start to the finish, we say yes and amen. Have your way in us. Speak to us, challenge us, inspire us, correct us, fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name, come on, let's worship together.